everybody. We're going to continue on with the uh, session. Um, as I stated before lunch, I guess there are three SACPA um, events coming up. The first one is going to be tonight at the Students' Union about climate change. Uh, next Thursday, there is the Technology, Policy, and Future of the Oil Sands discussion. And as Knud uh, pointed out, that there is going to be a political forum, and that's on Friday. LSCO 630. So with, pardon? Lethbridge West. Lethbridge West. So with further ado, I'm going to call Trevor Toom, Dr. Trevor Toom, back up to the podium. Um, friendly reminder that you must approach the podium to ask questions. Uh, please state your name and please keep the questions um, to a respectful short, uh, if you have a preamble, very short, um, and then your question. Thank you ever so much. Uh, Terry Shellington is my name. Th thank you, Trevor, for a very uh, uh, accessible presentation, and I, I am convinced the PowerPoint is 50% of that. It uh, simplifies. Uh, <clears throat> I was at a political forum here last night uh, in which the Independence Party of Alberta uh, presented its platform, and I think you'd have a picnic with some of his figures, but he, he uh, more than once used the the sum of 41 billion. Alberta pays out 41 billion in equalization payments. I wasn't clear whether that was annually or, uh, or what time span. Uh, and the implication was that nothing came back. Uh, it was just 41 billion lost. I wonder uh, where that 41 billion comes from and how much we get back in federal monies of one kind or another. Excellent question. And I'll thank you. I, I promise everyone I didn't plant that question. <coughs> It lets me jump to a slide I never got to. And, and, and I think uh, often, I guess, um, I'm not sure precisely what the 41 billion is that's being referred to. The total annual equalization dollars paid out is less than 20. So it must be some kind of an aggregate over a number of years and so would depend on the details. But what often those questions are getting at is a gap between federal revenue from Albertans and Alberta businesses compared to spending by the federal government in Alberta. <clears throat> Sorry, you should have told me that joke about elephants. I, I choked on my food. <clears throat> what we're looking at here is federal revenue and spending by province. So in blue, that is how much is raised per person, uh, per capita by the federal government from each province. You can see that Alberta by far is above the amount in red, which is the spending per capita. So that gap, you can think of it as this implicit fiscal transfer out of Alberta and into other regions through higher spending there, especially in the Maritimes. Uh, and if you add up the gaps between the blue bars and the red for this year, it is in excess of $20 billion. And every, every year, it's been like this for decades, this adds up to very large totals. Sometimes you'll hear statements that since 2007, over $200 billion has been paid out from Alberta to other provinces. 
And that's true to the extent that there is a gap in federal revenue and spending uh, in Alberta. But I'll show why that's the case. Like, why, is, why does the feds, why do they raise more money from Albertans and Alberta businesses than they spend here? Most of it is due to income taxes. So our income levels are higher than elsewhere, and high-income individuals unavoidably pay more in income tax than low-income individuals. That's how income tax uh, systems work. And in Alberta, there's just many, many more high-income individuals here. Roughly one in five uh, Canadians who earn more than 100 grand live in Alberta, even though we're only about one in 10 uh, of the country's population. So in blue, this is all the gaps in federal revenue and spending that can be accounted for by income taxes, um, GST payments, they're higher here because we have high incomes and we spend more. We're also a very young province, so we receive disproportionately fewer OAS and CPP payments, for example. So most of the federal fiscal gap is due to good things, like high income, young population, high employment rate. Um, equalization is about one quarter, that kind of orange slice of the pie. And when, when folks say that Alberta pays into equalization, what they really mean is that federal taxpayers, which includes Albertans, uh, pay into federal general revenue. And it is from that that equalization is, is paid out. Um, feels like a very long-winded answer to the question, but there, there, there is indeed a large gap in revenue and spending by the federal government in Alberta. I wouldn't suggest that that is a, a bad thing in and of itself. It is a symptom of good things like high incomes, high employment rates. Hi, I'm Tony Pargeter, and thanks for your presentation, Trevor. You've actually answered my question where I was going to ask you to clarify something, but you know, maybe to be even clearer. There are some people who think that how equalization works is someone in Edmonton writes out a check and sends it to Ottawa or sends it to Quebec or something like that, and uh, therefore, and some of these people are running for election, we could just say, no, we're not going to write those checks in anymore. Could you just clarify how it actually works? Sure, sure. So equalization is paid out of federal general revenue. Equalization is paid out of the same pot of money that federal paperclips and office supply purchases are funded out of. And Alberta's government, as a, as a provincial government, is unable to affect Ottawa's purchase of printer paper and ink cartridges any more than it can affect payments of equalization dollars. So Alberta, and, and indeed no provincial government, has any role whatsoever in funding equalization payments. Alberta, like every other provincial government, is only a receiver of federal transfers. We received $6.4 billion in, in federal transfers for this upcoming <coughs> fiscal year. So there's no ability of Alberta's government to stop paying into equalization because there are no such things as payments into equalization. We all as individuals and as businesses pay federal taxes and then the feds decide what to do with, with that. Uh, thank you, Trevor. Art Sanford is the name and um, I thought it was interesting, uh, just to quote a quick figure that uh, Professor Mintz, I think you know that name, uh, using Stats Canada figures, he showed that from late 60s up until now that only three provinces have actually uh, have put money into that system and not got back 
and that was BC at uh, 40 billion, uh, Alberta at 660 billion, and Ontario at over eight, uh, 800 billion. Now the question I have is, and the rumor we keep hearing is, uh, Alberta oil is a part of that performance, uh, mining in Ontario is a part, but when it comes to hydropower in Manitoba and Quebec, which they sell billions across the line, is not included. Is that such the case? Excellent question. So two questions there. I'll answer um, the second one first. Hydro revenue is in the equalization formula and it's treated the same way as oil and gas. So it is a resource revenue to Quebec and a large resource revenue, roughly $3 billion or so in hydro revenues, uh, making them the second largest resource revenue province in Canada after only Alberta. And the hydro revenues are treated within the formula in an identical way to oil and gas. The concern around hydro, and it's a legitimate concern, is that Quebec, Manitoba, BC, they set hydro rates. They can affect electricity prices or the amount that's charged for the water use in a way that lowers government revenue mechanically, making them appear to have a lower fiscal capacity than they really are or sorry, than they really do. And so the concern there is, does equalization provide an incentive to artificially lower power prices? And it may. Um, Quebec, though, the amount that they earn per megawatt hour is similar to British Columbia, though BC is not an equalization receiver. So it's not obvious that they're exploiting that incentive much, although Manitoba does have a great deal less uh, in terms of hydro revenues per megawatt hour than either Quebec or BC. So it's a legitimate concern. Uh, to the first issue of Alberta spending 600 and some odd uh, billion into equalization. So again, I'll repeat that there's no equalization pool. There, there's just federal revenue and they decide what to do with that federal revenue. They buy paper clips and they pay out equalization. 600 and some billion, this is not Jack's measure. This is a measure constructed by another one of my colleagues at the University of Calgary, Robert Mansell, who estimates that since 1960, the gap between federal revenue and federal spending totaled 611 billion. Um, here are my estimates of that same uh, figure. I get about 550 billion, and I'm not gonna quib quibble between 550 and 611. Clearly it's large. So what we're looking at here are the federal revenue and spending gaps by province over time. Alberta is brown here. So Alberta, when you're negative, it means we're on average paying more in federal revenue than we are receiving in spending. So Ontario, historically, they were the dominant fiscal gap province. Alberta in the 70s and more recently have come into its, its own. Uh, if you go back to the 60s, Quebec used to be a net contributor. British Columbia kind of moves in and out. Saskatchewan moves in and out. Currently, they're a net contributor. So it, it's certainly the case that Alberta has paid into the federal coffers more than it receives. But I'll go back to reminding us what is behind that. It's that Alberta individuals and Alberta businesses are, on average, higher income and more profitable. So there are no payments from Alberta, there are payments from individuals and businesses in Alberta paying the same federal taxes that are paid anywhere else. So we don't face a different income tax schedule just because we live here. We would pay the same federal taxes if we moved to BC that we pay here if we had the same income. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, if that answers the question. Hi, Brooke Cully's my name. Um, Trevor, I just, a lot of information here. Uh, if I get asked in the future on this issue as a citizen of Alberta in a referendum, what's the one takeaway you could tell me outside of getting this presentation to show my friends? What can I tell my friends if I get asked that question? So what, what specific question? Well, I don't know how the referendum question would be formed, right. but do you have an idea how he would frame a referendum question? So I can't speculate on that. I mean, the referendum is, be careful how to phrase this, but it's, it's, it's a political strategy. It is not itself any kind of legally binding initiative in that the Alberta provincial government has no jurisdiction whatsoever over the equalization formula. So it's much more about framing a political discussion than about anything else. And on that, I don't have any particular expertise. But the concern is often, why doesn't Alberta get equalization? And that's, I think, that's at the core of why many feel that it is unfair. We see our large deficit, and we see that we went through a recession, and we wonder why we don't receive any equalization. So my answer to that question uh, is that we are the richest province, and the province with the strongest economy, despite the recession. And our deficit is a choice. We make it, right? We want the deficit because we are not willing to entertain spending restraint or higher taxes, right? That's the conversation we should be having. How do we tackle our own problem, uh, which is our deficit, rather than pointing to Ottawa to solve it for us? Uh, Ernie Ingbrecht. Um, I'm still a little bit confused about the taxation thing. And so horror of horrors, if we had a, a provincial sales tax, would that even out? And if so, at what rate? So if we wanted to address uh, our current deficit with a sales tax, it would require a rate of around 6 or 7% for this current fiscal year to give you a sense of scale. Each point, each like 1%, is worth about $1 billion uh, in provincial revenue. Um, so whatever amount you want to raise, you can simply um, multiply 1 billion by, or sorry, one point by however many billions you want to raise, and that's your answer. Um, and that's not to say that I think that's the route we should go, but if you wanted to address the deficit fully on a sales tax, then six, seven billion, or six, seven percent. Or, sorry. I, uh, Mike McCaig, I uh, really enjoyed your presentation, Trevor. Could you just clarify one thing for us? I keep hearing um, politicians saying that the, the uh, equalization, um, <clears throat> having a senior moment, no, the, the formula, the equalization formula is uh, the problem. And of course, you hear some people saying, well, it was the Harper government that last reviewed it. Uh, if I understand it correctly, it's reviewed a, s a certain time, and maybe it's been reviewed by the, as well as the, as the Conservatives, also been reviewed by the Liberals, and I understand that we have this one until 2026. Could you comment on that? Yeah, typically these fiscal arrangements are reviewed and changed every five years, and it's been that way for many decades. That was sort of the schedule that was set out after the Second World War. 
Um, the last change that occurred was kind of off schedule in 2009 because of the financial crisis. But since then, we have followed that same five-year schedule. So this year was when the next kind of five-year phase was supposed to start. And the federal government did renew the equalization formula basically as is, and it will last until 2024. Um, the changes made in 2009 were kind of a tweak. There were big changes made in 2007 by, by the prior conservative government, yeah. Um, does that answer your question, or? Just a, can't blame in one party for what we have today. Oh, for sure. I mean, equalization has been around and has evolved in many ways under many administrations, and uh, what we have today is indeed the formula that was put in place in 2009 um, by, by Stephen Harper, and there, and there was no changes made in in the formula this year for the next five-year period. And th there are reasonable changes that people can uh, propose and suggest, and so some have looked at the extension of five years with no changes as a missed opportunity, I think myself included. Um, but yeah, the, the, this is not like a partisan policy. This is something that has existed and has evolved under every single federal government uh, for the past half century. Uh, Ernie Ingbrecht again, so I don't think I was clear in my question last time. What I meant was, if we had a provincial sales tax, would it affect our, the transfer payments? And if so, if we had, say, your, what you say, a five or six percent, what would that do to Alberta in the transfer scheme? Excellent question, yeah. So this again gets back to what's, what's measured in the formula. What's measured is not the taxes we actually have. What's measured is our capacity to raise revenue from various taxes. And it really comes down, I think intuitively in our head, we should think of it as coming down to the strength of our economy. So introducing a new tax does have implications for the size of our economy. Taxes distort behavior, they can affect employment and investment and so on. So there would be an indirect effect of introducing a new tax in Alberta because it might shrink the size of our economy. Um, but th that's a very indirect way in which it would affect transfers. So the blue bar here is the size of our economy. The red bar is our measured capacity to raise revenue. And mechanically, there's, there's no link uh, between the taxes that we choose to have and our capacity to raise revenue. Um, so think of it as, the sales tax base is consumer spending, the stuff we buy, the goods and services. There's a total amount of that spending that exists. And then the equalization formula comes along and looks at that amount and says, well, what if Alberta had an average rate for sales taxes, which is 8% or so? That's the amount that it's measuring as our capacity to raise revenue. Whether we choose to have a 0% sales tax, a 2%, 5%, doesn't really matter. Lathystone. Thank you very much. I think I've learned a lot. I think we've all learned a lot. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> um, what I'd like to know is uh, the equalization payment structure, an artifact of federalism, and if so, are there any other countries that are f federations mm -hmm. uh, doing the same thing? Excellent question. So federal uh, transfers to provinces is absolutely a feature of a federal system. And it's almost necessarily the case that such transfers exist because there are differences 
in economic strength across regions. And these transfers do help harmonize public services across locations so that regardless of where you live, you have a certain comparable level of public services being offered. And almost every other major federal system in the world has a program like this. Germany, for example, Australia. Um, the United States is an interesting exception where they do not have explicit equalization transfer programs. But in many federal transfer programs, you know, highway funding, benefit programs, they are tilted towards lower income regions. And though the United States doesn't have an equalization program explicitly, they do transfer across states more of their economy than we transfer across provinces. They transfer about 2.5% of GDP. Ours is a little under 2%. So these explicit programs are extremely common. Um, and even where they do not exist, there are indirect equivalents. So, great question. Hello, Hi. John Kalfas. Um, want to comment on a very excellent, excellent and timely and graphically illustrated presentation. Thanks. My question is, uh, to what extent perhaps is our carbon tax, for example, similar to or, or, or like a sales tax, and across Canada, uh, relative to carbon taxes, are they pretty similar or pretty soon be federally imposed? Great question. Yeah, so carbon taxes are an excise tax. They are a tax on fuel, they are a tax on emissions, and they have features like a consumption tax in that they are levied at the point of purchase when we buy gasoline at the pump or natural gas for home heating. But they differ from a, a consumption tax since Sales taxes, it's the same rate applied broadly, whereas the carbon tax is, is not applied at the same rate on different goods. It depends on how much fuel is used or what's the emissions intensity of the fuel. So the carbon tax increases the price of emissions intensive goods more than, uh, than other goods, whereas the sales tax increases the price by that same 5% GST kind of across the board with a couple exceptions. Provinces do differ a lot in how they implement uh, carbon taxes. So Alberta's carbon tax is now this year 12 years old, and it was applied to large emitters in the past. So a lot of us didn't see it, even though it covered a lot of Alberta's emissions. What happened in 2017 was they broadened the carbon tax to cover fuel. So now we see it uh, on our utility bills and at the pump and so on. British Columbia, when they brought in their carbon tax, they just did it on everything that they could price right away. So provinces differ in what's covered and what's not. Um, and there are important differences between what Alberta's carbon tax looks like and the federal one. To some extent, they're very similar. So no one, and I'm gonna say what might sound like a bold claim, no one in, uh, in Alberta is Sorry, I should say, no major political party in Alberta is proposing that we eliminate Alberta's carbon tax. So I thought, let that sink in. Uh, <laughs> what, what's being discussed is, <laughs> what's being discussed is what's the coverage? 
And the, the UCP proposal is to roll back the coverage to what it was prior to 2017, which is to price 140 million tons accounted for by large emitters, rather than the current 185 million tons covered by large emitters in the fuel levy. So we're really just talking about one quarter of the carbon tax pie, not whether we want the pie or not. Um, so the federal one would only partially come into Alberta to cover fuel. And the federal plan, broadly speaking, is modeled largely on um, uh, Alberta's designs. So we, we may not see a lot of change there other than for a few months if we scrap the fuel levy, the price drops from the 6.7 cents a liter to four and a half until January 1st of next year when it goes back up to 6.7 cents. This will be our last question. Uh, Mary Shillington, thank you very much for your really informative and, and understandable presentation that uh, for me, that's uh, made a big difference. You talked about sales tax, and lots of people uh, who think, as I do, uh, that the poor people are going to be hit hardest by a sales tax, and therefore want, want to know some other way mm -hmm. of raising that money rather than a sales tax for all of us. What would you suggest? Very important question. And, and it is indeed the case that just a raw sales tax, uh, so let's put the GST aside for a second. If we just slapped a 5% a tax on every good and service sold, and that's it. This would be regressive in that as incomes rise, individuals tend to save a larger and larger fraction of their income. So consumption out of your income is higher at uh, the lower end of the income distribution. So taxes on consumption do tend to eat up a larger share of income at the low end of the income distribution. GST tries to address that and to a large extent succeeds by providing rebates to lower income individuals. So GST credits, uh, for example, are paid out to eligible individuals in a way that offsets the burden of the GST on lower income individuals. So if, if Alberta were to go that route, then it would need to think about how large should those rebates be. It probably wouldn't be a good idea to introduce a sales tax without also increasing the sales tax rebates that are currently, currently in place. So, so that's one. Um, but there are lots of other ways to raise revenue. There's certainly personal and corporate income taxes. Those are by far the largest source of tax revenue, not just in Alberta, but every provincial uh, government in Canada and the federal government. I guess as an economist, I, I think about different taxes differently. They're not just ways to raise revenue. They also change behavior and distort decisions. And income taxes, corporate and personal, do tend to discourage investment and employment because they lower the return on those activities. Whereas a consumption tax, it exempts savings. It exempt, it's not a tax on investment. And so it doesn't discourage those activities as much. So when we try to measure what's the effect of a tax on an economy, we tend to find that income taxes have a higher economic cost than sales taxes. Um, but of course, economic effici efficiency is just one of many considerations. Yeah. I lied, there's one more question. Uh, seeing that there's two minutes left on the clock, uh, <laughs> maybe I can squeeze one in. Thanks very much for coming, Trevor. That was Thank you. wonderful to 
how prompt you replied to my request. That was uh, amazing. Um, I, I love equalization. I'm quite happy to talk about it. <laughs> my question is a little more speculative. Um, seeing that inequality is a huge problem in the province and around the country and especially around the world, um, how do you think, uh, can, what do you think Canada would look like now if it hadn't had a equalization program? Good question, good question. Not very different as a whole, but I think the biggest effect equalization has uh, on Canada and on different regions is in terms of where people live. If we didn't have an equalization program, I think we would see that provinces like Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, um, Quebec to a lesser, much lesser extent, would have fewer people living in them. People would have left and moved to other regions, either because public services are, were of lower quality in those regions than they otherwise would have been. Um, so I think that's the primary effect that equalization has had, is just on how evenly the quality of public services are, and that affects where people uh, choose to live. So to wrap this up, um, Dr. Toome, do you have a take-home question for the audience to be discussed? Oh. Okay. Well, as a professor, I do enjoy giving homework. Uh, so let me see. That is a really good question. That's right. Solve the equation. You know, come back to me. No, no. Uh, I guess the most important question we should be asking ourselves is what do we want the equalization program to do? What do we think its goal should be? And that helps us frame how we look at whether or not the program is good or bad. If we think that the program should pay to lower income regions, then it tends to do that pretty well. But maybe you think it should achieve other objectives. So the question, yeah, what do you want out of a program like equalization? So with that, thank you very much.